Hey ghouls and gals, thanks for tuning in. I'm Cat Commander, and before we begin, I just wanted to touch on some important information in regards to today's case. I also wanted to give some trigger warnings. There is sexual assault and there is mutilation. In 2018, the Seattle-based Urban Indian Health Institute completed its landmark survey, reporting that 5,712 Alaska Native and American Indian women and girls were missing. However, only 116 of them were registered into the Department of Justice database. Using data from 71 urban cities, UIHI reportedly exposed the tremendous scale of this problem. Thousands of indigenous women had gone unrecognized, ignored, and unprotected. Indigenous women are actually three and a half times more likely to be victims of violent crime than any other women, and the violence they face is often more severe. Today, we're encountering evil on the Highway of Tears. The Highway of Tears is a 450 mile stretch of Highway 16 between Prince George and Prince Rupert in British Columbia, Canada. This has been the location of many missing and murdered Indigenous women since the 1970s. There have been decades worth of crimes with little or no progress in identifying perpetrators and victims. Due to poverty, vulnerable populations resort to hitchhiking to travel long distances to get around. Another factor in the abductions and murder is that the area is very isolated and remote, making it easier to commit crimes and hide evidence. Of course, let's not forget the systematic racism and the lack of media coverage in cases with indigenous women, and over half these women are indigenous. The first possible victim was Tracy Clifton, she had an argument with her mother and she left her home and started walking down Highway 16 and she was never seen again. The official date of her disappearance is only stated to be in the 1970s. The next person to go missing was 17-year-old Helen Claire Frost, who left her home in Prince George on October 13, 1970 and vanished. At the time, she was living with her sister Sandy on the 1600 block of Queensway. Helen was working a few side jobs around this time, including a bus person at the Prince George HBC cafeteria and for a painting company and painting gas stations between Prince George and Terrence. No one even reported her missing until October 15th, assuming she was just at a friend's house. Police did take a missing persons report, but in Sandy's own words, she said she got the impression that nothing was done. Until this day, her sister is still missing. Then, one year later, almost to the day, 18-year-old Jean-Virginia Sampari, also known as Ginny, went missing. Earlier that day, she was at her mother's house and they got into a fight, and she left crying. When a family member tried to stop Ginny, her mother said, leave her alone, she'll come back. And that was around 10 p.m. Alvin, Ginny's cousin, reported that he and Ginny had been walking along Highway 16 when he left to go get a jacket. Then he expected to meet back up with her. Alvin thought she was going to go wait at a store that was nearby while she waited for him. When he got close to where they were supposed to meet, he heard a pickup door slam, 
But when he finally got up there, there was no pickup and his cousin was gone. After Ginny failed to return home that night, her mother reported her missing the following morning, but they mistakenly told her she had to wait a certain amount of time before reporting the disappearance. There was some speculation that Ginny ran away or committed suicide after her boyfriend disappeared. However, her family disputes these theories. Her boyfriend's body was actually discovered drowned in the Skeena River after she disappeared. The police reported that the case was closed in 1985, citing a report from the chief counselor in 1971 that she had drowned, an assertion for which there was no conclusive evidence. The case was reopened after the family complained. The police took DNA from Jenny's siblings in 2006. The family believes that this was in response to the Robert Picton investigation. Nothing was reported publicly if this produced any further leads in this case. The Picton case is another one that I'll actually be covering and it's absolutely terrifying. At one point, her brother Rod claimed that he saw part of a police file which indicated that a man named Kenny Russell saw her footprints next to the river, leading to the presumption that she went in. Rod asked for a copy of the complete file but was refused. They searched for eight days and found no trace of her. Then on December 13, 1974, Monica Ignace, who was 14, disappeared along Highway 16. She was last seen at 11 p.m. that same day. She was walking home alone and it is believed that she was hitchhiking. Two witnesses reported seeing a car pull over to the side of the road on the night she vanished. The pair saw a man and a passenger who looked like Monica inside the vehicle. Her badly decomposed and partially dressed body was found by police four months later on April 6, 1975. Her body had been found inside of a gravel pit and Monica had been strangled. On July 3, 1976, 21-year-old Corrine Thomas was walking down the highway hitchhiking and she was hit and killed by 21-year-old Richard Redekup. At the time, she was nine months pregnant. She and her baby boy died. According to one article, there was no attempt to even save the baby. Corrine was indigenous and Richard is white. There are reports that Richard swerved intentionally to hit Corrine. However, the witnesses were underage and were taken into police custody. It was there during an unsupervised interrogation, they were coerced by police to lie and say that Corrine was playing chicken with the truck. Originally, Eric Turner, the coroner, ruled it a simple accident, but he later retracted his statement after it was made public that he himself was let off with a lesser charge after he drunkenly hit and killed another indigenous man 10 years earlier. Eric Turner had also put in an inquest about the death of Larry Thomas, who's actually Corrine's cousin, who was killed by Richard's younger brother Stanley on the same road. So just to kind of clarify that, the coroner himself hit and killed an indigenous man. Then Richard's younger brother Stanley hit and killed Larry Thomas, who is Corrine's cousin. And then Richard himself hit and killed Corrine, which is just, this is just absolutely sick. What are the chances that they'd murder two people in the same family? I mean, it, it just, it's not an accident. During a public formal inquiry, witnesses confirm that Richard swerved intentionally to hit Corrine. 
Despite this inquiry, the Crown did not proceed with charges and in 1977, the charges were dismissed due to insufficient evidence. It is now October 10th, 1981, and Jean-Marie Kovacs was last seen at 1.30 a.m. at the intersection on Highway 16. The following day, October 11th, her nude body was found in a watery ditch 25 miles east of Prince George. The autopsy initially revealed a 22 caliber bullet wound to her head, but later reports showed that she had four gunshot wounds to her head. Her killer was found to be Edward Dennis Isaac. He was charged with murder in February 1988, and we're actually going to get into that a little bit closer to the end. Just one month later, Rashwitha Fuschbichler was reported missing at 6.45 p.m. on November 4th, 1981. She last spoke with a friend around 2 a.m. that morning. Her mangled and mutilated body was found in a wooded area north of Prince George at 9.25 a.m. on November 21st, 1981. She was just 13 years old. She too was murdered by Edward Isaac. He had picked her up and claimed he killed her to see what it felt like. She died from a single stab wound to the heart. Her body had been stripped naked, stabbed, and slashed before being dumped. Then 15-year-old Nina Marie Joseph went missing. She was last seen at Prince George near the highway. Unfortunately, her nude body was found in Freeman Park on August 16, 1982, with a cord from her jacket wrapped around her neck. She too had been stripped naked, stabbed, and slashed before being dumped. The case almost remained unsolved until the testimony of serial killer Edward Isaac's ex-girlfriend admitted to helping him dispose of her body. And that's how they caught him. Now we have Alberta Gail Williams, who went missing August 26, 1989. She was last seen leaving Popeyes, which is a bar in downtown Prince Rupert and she was seen leaving around closing time by her sister Claudia, and she told her sister that she was going to a house party. Alberto was last seen wearing a blue sweatshirt, black stretchy pants with slip-on shoes. Then, about a month later, Alberta's naked body was found on September 25th, 1989. 23 miles east of Prince Rupert, she had been strangled and sexually assaulted. Now get this. According to Officer Jerry Kerr, on September 12th, before her body was found, there were bloody clothes resembling the ones she wore the night she went missing, and they were found in Prince Rupert. Among some of the items were a blue sweater, slip-on type shoes, a jumpsuit, a pillowcase, two pillow covers, a sock, a shoelace, and a crumpled up piece of paper. The clothes were tossed in a bush, and these clothes were seized and destroyed by police. And according to Gary, he said they just believed that it wasn't related to her disappearance. So, I don't know, that's one of the sketchiest actions I think I've ever heard of. You find bloody clothes matching the description of a missing person, even if it didn't match this specific case, the police know there have been a string of missing and murdered women, so instead of investigating it or maybe keeping the evidence, you destroy the evidence? Last seen at 2 a.m. 
18-year-old Marty Blanchard disappeared on November 22, 1989. Witnesses saw her climb into a gray Toyota pickup truck with a white canopy outside Rock Pit Cabaret. The driver was described as having shoulder-length black hair, and later her remains were discovered by skiers on December 11, 1989. And it was on an unmarked road on Foothills Boulevard. The remains had unfortunately been disturbed by animals and they had to identify her by dental records. Another studio killer, Brian Peter Arp, was arrested July 26, 1990 in relation to her murder and I'll touch on him later as well. Delphine Cal vanished in June of 1990. She was seen hitchhiking on Highway 16 around 10 p.m. She called her uncle to tell him that she was on her way home and she was last seen by her two friends hitchhiking eastbound of Highway 16. Delphine actually went missing a year after her cousin Cecilia. And Delphine had another cousin, Roberta, who was murdered a few years after Delphine herself disappeared. All three of them were around the age of 15, and I can't even imagine the devastation of the family. It's sad that this is happening already, but the fact that it's happening repetitively to the same family, again, what are the chances of that? In September of 1990, Donna Charlie was reported missing. She came to visit Prince George with her boyfriend, Jerry, and they checked into the Sportsman Motel. The motel owner, Richard Hunter, testified in court that the following day, the room was found destroyed and there was blood all over the walls. Then, on April 17, 1991, the police located her decapitated body buried in a shallow grave near the Sportsman Motel. Jerry said that her body was buried across from a playground and his cousin Cheryl and another male cousin helped bury the body. Donna's head was never recovered, but Jerry testified that he buried her on Kananat Hill. I always hear stories like this and think these are the really scary ones to hear because it's just so terrifying to think that someone you know could murder you. And I know statistically you are more likely to be murdered by someone that you know. It's just sickening to actually think about. And the fact that something can even escalate to something like decapitation is just fucking terrifying. Therese Humphrey was outside of a convenience store in Prince George on Valentine's Day, 1993. Allegedly, a few men gave her a ride, but she couldn't remember where she lived because she was intoxicated. Then they drove her back to the convenience store. Later that same day, her partially nude and frozen body was found on a snowbank. The coroner reported that her death was caused by manual strangulation and then strangulation with a ligature like a shoelace. And that one was actually found at the scene. Again, serial killer Brian Peter Arp was arrested October 4th, 1993 and convicted of her murder. Two 15-year-old friends, Roxanne Thura and Alicia Germain, both went missing in 1994. They were both sex workers along Highway 16, and they went missing a few months apart. Roxanne was found murdered in a bush, while Alicia was found stabbed to death behind an elementary school. So now we're going to jump into more recent times. And in 2010, Lorene Don Leslie unfortunately came across serial killer Cody Leckenbachoff, who she met online. Her body was found in November of 2010 on a remote logging road just off Highway 27. 
Cody was actually pulled over by police on November 27, 2010, and he was in possession of her belongings and they were covered in blood. So let's get into some of the serial killers that are connected to the Highway of Tears. The first one I'm going to talk about is Bobby Jack Fowler. He's actually a well-known serial killer and he died in prison in 1986. And after his death, they used his DNA to connect it to a few other murders. Those murders being of Colleen McMillan, Gail Ways, and Pamela Darlington. And they narrowed it down by the frame pattern and the location. And it's actually believed that he killed Monica Ignace. Next, we have Edward Isaac. He was convicted of the 1981 and 1982 murders of Nina Joseph, John Kovacs, and Rashwitha in Prince George. Isaac is still serving out his life sentence. Then we have Brian Arp. He was convicted of the 1989 murder of Therese Humphrey and Marty Blancard. He too is serving a life sentence. Finally, we have Cody Leckenbachoff. He was convicted of the 2009 and 2010 murders of Jill Stockano, Natasha Montgomery, Lauren Leslie, and Cynthia Moss. He is serving a life sentence as well. Even with this, there are still so many unanswered questions. Like I said, these cases span over 51 years and cases are as recent as August of 2021. So there have been an estimate of between five and even 10 serial killers making this highway their playground. And some believe the police are involved. But what do you think? If you like what you hear, be sure to give us a follow at encountering underscore evil on Instagram. Stay tuned. And don't forget to look behind you.